0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. All right, so I was at the PGA Championship last week. I was not here. And um, God works in mysterious ways, does he not? Um, on Sunday, we were sitting in the grandstands, and Tiger Woods is like on his way to like reclaiming his former glory. He hadn't won a major in 10 years. He's storming down the course. You can hear a roar every time he does anything remotely right. He like hits a ball in a fairway. Yes! You know, like he hits it like 20 feet within the hole, and he's like, yes! Everybody, birdies, Everything. But if you're in the grandstands, you have to save your seats because you want to see what happens at the end of the tournament because we're sitting there on 18. We get to see the approach shots. We get to see the putting. But we've got to save our seats. So we send one delegate to the food line. I was the delegate uh, to get our $5 a piece hot dogs. And so I get in line, and I'm like, all right, this line isn't terrible. It's going to keep moving. It's fine. No big deal. I get in line, I stand behind this this lady, and we're just sitting there, we're minding our own business for like 30 seconds to a minute, we're just minding our own business, and then this couple walks up behind us, and they are the most, how do I put this politely, they are the most, um, they are the personal trainers in your life for patience, (laughs) is what they are. And so they walk up behind us, and and they're like, do you know how long this line's going to take? And we're like, I don't know, we just got in line. I haven't been at this stand this weekend, so I, I don't know. And they're like, How long is this gonna take? She, they asked the next guy in line. The gentleman gets out of line, walks all the way up to the front to a worker, and goes, How long is this line gonna take? And they're like, It'll be 15, 20 minutes. That's about He's like, No, you haven't seen the line. You need to come with me and look at the line. And so it gets the worker out of line, looks back at the line, and he's like, yeah, we move pretty fast through here. We're making lots of food. It's going to be 15, 20 minutes. It's going to be fine. And so the whole time I'm in line, this guy is, is going, man, I don't think it's going to be worth it. He's saying it to his wife. I don't think it's going to be worth it. I don't think, we're, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think it's going to happen. And she keeps going, dude, you need to shut up. These people are going to get annoyed with you. And I'm in my head going, amen, <laughs> you know, listen to your wife. That's just life advice, Okay. That applies everywhere. Listen to your wife, and over and over again, over and over and over, and over again, the whole way up. And then we get about halfway through the line, and he had volunteered as one of the, like, the volunteers at the PGA Championship, so you volunteer and then you get in for free later. Well, he had these water coupons, and he's got these water coupons, and, and he's, 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 he gives me one, he gives me the, the girl in front of me one for free water, which is great, because he just saved me like $45 for one bottle of water. And... And then he has four more, and he goes, I don't think we're going to be able to use these. I don't think we're going to be able to use all these. I need to give them away. I need to give them away. And his wife's like, calm down. It's hot out here. You may want one later. Just keep them. You'll be fine. You'll be able to get more water later. we we'll stay hydrated. He's like, no, I've made my decision. You know me. As soon as I make my decision, I, I have to do it. I have to. And so This is 30 minutes of my life that I'm listening to this guy behind me, just, just, he's just the most impatient, complaining person ever. And guess what we're talking about today? If you've read ahead in Philippians chapter 2, you'd see that one of the main verses we're gonna talk about today it says, do not complain or argue about everything. So this morning we are continuing on in Philippians, and I thought that was just this perfect, um, perfect example of what it's like to be behind an obnoxious person and to have complaining. So Paul gives this command that resonates across all time. It says, Dear, brother, or, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He enables us. He he works through us to give us those desires. Verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Uh, Parents, Philippians 2.14 that's just the first memory verse your kids learn, right? Do everything without complaining and arguing, right? That's what, we, that's what you want. Um, uh, for everyone who doesn't have children, uh, this should also be your memory verse. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Do everything that way. It's something we need to prophetically pray daily. Like every morning go, do everything without complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. I want to be that person. And live that out daily. Live it out daily. It should be this continual prayer. Just like you sing, do it again, do it again, do it again. God's saying, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain. Do it over and over again. It's so important. Could you imagine with me a world without complaining and arguing? The MBA would no longer have this. Right? The NBA would like, the players wouldn't know what to do. There was a whistle. Oh, all right, it was a foul. Let's move on. <laughs> on your family vacation, there would be no more, are we there yet? Imagine that world, parents. Or some of you who have friends who are just obnoxious, I guess. <laughs> In our jobs, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have um, I don't get paid enough to do that employers, how, how, or here, um, it's really easy in some of these, like, example settings to go, yes, I know exactly who that is. Guess what? You're that person for someone else, okay? Just, Just fair warning, never read the Bible like, oh, it's for them. Read the Bible for you, It's so important that we read these verses and we go, all the positive stuff is mine, all the negative stuff is them. Like, uh, generally speaking, there's a mix of both in everybody. Everybody has uh, things to work on and things they're good at. Um, I'm going to confess something this morning that will shock you. In high school, I like to show on television that... um, doesn't necessarily line up with my elitist view of movies that you guys have come to know. Um, it was called Smallville. It's not very good, but I loved it because it was Superman. I couldn't help myself. So uh, I was watching the show, and in the show, there's, um, there's uh, another superhero joins the cast and is, is part of the, you know, everything that goes on, the week-to-week thing, and um, and at one point he gets, um, he gets outed as he, his secret identity gets outed. And so he, he sits down with the newspaper who's complaining that he's, who authorized you to do this? What, why are you going out and doing this on your own? What are you doing this for? And he sits down and he says to this news, this news agency, he says, in a time where we just have bloggers and critics, I'm actually doing something. And it's probably the only profound thing that show ever said. <laughs> but that's what we become when, we're, when we complain and argue all the time. We become the bloggers and the critics. And we forget to actually do something. When we fill our life with complaining... We just fill our our life with worthless things that doesn't doesn't do anything. It doesn't provide anything for us, and it doesn't provide anything for our, like, outlook on life. It, It just fills our life with complaining. It fills our life with negative thoughts. And it's hard to get out of that rut once we're in. It's hard to get out of it. How many of you have like, gotten to a, a habit of complaining and then you find when you're around certain people, you just complain? It's just what you do. It's like how you have a conversation. Uh, I'm gonna raise my hand on that one. Yeah, it's, uh, it, we get in these moments where it's like, we just start complaining. We just complain and we complain and we complain and we complain and we complain because it's what we do, but it doesn't do anything for anybody. It just tears them down. And as we carry on, uh, the the Philippians chapter 2 says this, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like a bright light in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So I'm going to give you a film and photography lesson. There's a term called contrast. Anybody knows what contrast is? Mike nods really fast, like, yeah, you're, you're an amazing photographer. We get it, Mike. Mike's amazing if you've ever seen Mike's photography work, or if you've ever been here on a holiday when we take free family photos, Mike is uh, uh, just amazing. But there's this, this idea of contrast, and basically what it means is that there's a differentiation between two things that are right next to each other. So if, if there's, a, there's a, a light part, there's a dark part contrasting against it. There's, um, if you know color temperature, there's a cool light and warm light, and they contrast each other. Well, I had a cinematography professor in college, um, I was taking cinematography class, and, and he, he had this rule, he said, put light foregrounds against dark backgrounds, and put dark foregrounds against light backgrounds. And I think what Paul's trying to get at here is this idea of contrast that says, I know you live in the world, I know you're a part of it, but you need to stand opposite of what has gone wrong in the world. You need to stand opposite and shine brightly like a diamond. Um, that's a joke for our, uh, our youth students, we had a, a group called the Bedazzlers this year, and they're... Uh, their thing was uh, shine bright like a diamond. Um, but we, we have to shine bright in contrast, in, in, in this, this uh, opposition to what has gone wrong in the world. Because not everything has gone wrong. I know God created it. He created people. He, he had this plan of salvation and redemption. And so there are things that the world is doing right. But there's a lot that they're doing wrong. And we have to stand in opposition to what is wrong in the world. We have to be that clear contrast. The, one, of the, one of the definitions I looked up for contrast is this. It says, the state of being strikingly different from something else. Typically, something in juxtaposition or close association. And that's what Paul's commanding. We need to be strikingly different from what is wrong in this world. Strikingly different. Then Paul goes on, he says, hold firmly to the word of life, then, on the day of Christ's return. I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain, and that my work was not useless. I think Paul's getting at one thing here. Make the main thing the main thing. This is something we talked about in in our leadership team meeting. Make the main thing the main thing. If we preach everything we want to know about Philippians, about the Bible, about everything else, and we forget Jesus, we forget the main thing. And so this story of Jesus that, that, that the scriptures lays out, that he, 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 he's God and he comes to earth as, as a child and is born and lives 30 years of of basically anonymity, and then he goes into this earthly ministry for three years, healing the sick, raising the dead, bringing, bringing people to him left and right, talking to the poor and, and, and to those who have been marginalized outside of the, the religious structure that people put in the way. And he, he comes and he shares the gospel with them and shows them what the scriptures were actually saying the whole time and where they had missed it. And then because he challenged the authority of those in power, they decided to kill him. When they kill him, he's only dead for three days. He comes back to life, and he shows us that death has no hold on us. And I love that song because there's so many things in the scriptures that say you can do it again. Jesus doesn't resurrect just, just so that we have this cool example and this cool story, but he resurrects our lives. I want your resurrecting power in me, just like we saw him do in Lazarus. We have to make that main thing the main thing. If we ever see the scriptures or, 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 or life in general and we miss sight of Jesus... If we miss sight of who he is right in front of us, we've missed the whole point of the thing. We've missed the whole thing. I think the other thing we see in that verse is he says, I won't have run the race in vain. And when we, we look at like a sport like, the, like cycling, the Tour de France, and you compete as teams, but you only win as an individual. It's really interesting how this works. They have somebody who they they set up to win the tournament. Every team has somebody they want to win the tournament. And knowing that the other eight guys on the team aren't going to win. They're not going to raise the trophy. They're not going to wear the yellow jackets. They are there to make somebody else succeed. And it's really, really interesting to me that Paul associates himself and says, my life would be in vain if you guys don't hold on to this word of truth. And so, we have to end spiritual selfishness. We have to end it. There's, there's, we are, our lives are not our own, just like Paul's life is not his own. His life is dedicated to spreading the good news of Jesus, but not just spreading it, that people believe in it and stick with it. The deeper we grow as Christians in our Christian walk, we have to learn that it isn't about It's not about us. We have to push forward. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share your joy. Rejoice in holding on to what is true and what is good. Rejoice in knowing that your faith is in the right place. But I love that term that Paul uses. He says, a liquid offering, pouring out a liquid offering to God. And as soon as I read that, I, I was called back to this story in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 23 where, where David says he wants a drink of water from the well outside the gate at Bethlehem. But there's a problem. The Philistines have occupied Bethlehem. And so there's, th- there's these really cool stories, and you, you have to go read them. They're in the Old Testament around the time of David, but there, there's these guys called the mighty men. And there's some amazing stories about them, but this particular story, they have, there's like 30 of them that are like, gain this title, but there's three main ones. And the three... They decide without David's like command that if my king wants a drink of water from the well outside the gate at Bethlehem, we will get him a drink of water outside the gate at Bethlehem. And so they leave, and they fight through this line just to get a drink of water for the king. And they, and they, they, they fight, and they get the water, and they come back, and they present it to David, and David did something very, very strange. He did something very, very strange. He takes the water and he pours it out on the ground. And then he said, This, he said, The Lord forbid that I should drink this he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are the exploits, the examples of the exploits of the three. I think in Paul speaking to the Philippians, he's saying, Christ has given me this life. And no matter where I end up, No matter if I die in this prison, I will pour out my life as a liquid offering to my God. I will do whatever it takes. See, these prisons aren't like our prisons. You basically had two options, go free or die. Paul knew he's in prison and he's got two options and and it's up to Caesar because he's 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 brought his case before, or um, he's appealed to Caesar. And Caesar has two choices, he says. He has a choice of killing Paul or keeping him alive. He has those two options. And Paul decides, this is my life. I will pour it out. I will pour it out for you and for everyone else. And that's the story that he's trying to get across to the Philippians and to us now. Are you pouring out your life? Or are we asking our friends, our coworkers, the people in our church, our family, to go run behind enemy lines to get a drink of water and going, "Ah, oh, that's so good. Can I get a refill?" We have to end this spiritual selfishness. It has to go away. Because we pour out our lives for those around us. We run the race so that others can find his name. We do all these things so that the other person, the person outside of ourselves, can meet this Jesus that we love, that we can sing, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. That's like what we're going to see here in a second is, is reckless love. And the reckless love of God is this, that he would leave the 99, and in the Bible, the 99 are the people of God to go find the one lost sheep, the one that is outside of his love, outside of his grace, outside of his mercy, that God, our crazy, reckless God, would leave this idea of all these things that he has for the one. And that's what Paul is commanding each and every one of us to do. Are we pouring out our lives for our coworkers? And if you work in a church like me, our coworkers are pretty much all Christians. Am I pouring out my life for my neighbors? Am I pouring out my life for my family? Am I pouring out my my life for my friends who have wandered away? Those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves, because the truth is, there are people that have not heard His name. And the Bible says, "How will they know if we don't tell them? Isn't that a harsh reality? How will they know if we don't tell them? How will they know? As the band comes up and we're going to sing a song as our prayer this morning going to sing this out, I can never have a conversation and say, how will they know if we don't tell them, without giving you an opportunity to know. So this morning, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you this simple question. Do you know him? And I don't want an answer, I want you to think about it. Do you know him? This man who was also God that came to the earth to die and to come back to life. Do you know him? And there's a difference between knowing him intellectually. We have people who work for our church who have masters in theology, the study of God. But the study of God means nothing if you do not know Him. Do you know Him? The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. This is one of those moments where it's now on you. If you don't know him, it's on you. You have to make that choice. Nobody else can do it for you. My father's faith is not my faith. My mother's faith is not my faith. There's no salvation through my siblings or salvation through my parents or my friends there's salvation through Jesus alone. God, for the rest of us who have made that commitment to you, we want to commit with our lives And we pour it out as a sacrifice. We pour it out as a sacrifice to you. we would take the cup and pour it out. We choose what is better to serve others and not be selfish. God, I pray that consumer Christianity would die to make way for the real thing. Christianity is not a fast food restaurant. Come take what you want and go. But it's a long journey. That you join in. And you join the hike. God, make me like that. Always striving to be closer and closer to you. Always striving to be nearer and nearer to you. Longing like Paul, that my life is not in vain. God, this week, make us spiritually generous. how can we share our faith and not just in in words not in lectures but in deed how we can how can we help our neighbors how can we make our coworkers life a little bit easier can we complain just a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less until there's nothing of it left in us. God, thank you that you're a good God. In your name we pray.